All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you <clears throat> once again for the privilege of gathering together as family this evening, Father, to break this bread that matters most, the very bread of life. Thank you for inspiring the word and then providing it to us by grace. As we know, all of this is motivated by your love. Father, thank you for the ability and the opportunity <clears throat> after salvation to spread said love to others through our witness, through our testimony, through our example. Um, what a privilege it is to bring others to your son so that they might be saved and spend eternity with you as our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and make an evening like this even a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. <clears throat> Again, learning to walk by the Spirit, as I did uh, with the majority of the lessons I taught in India, I began with the most important presentation of all. Um, and this is how the lesson went. Of first importance is the simple matter of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, if we're going to talk about what it means to walk by the Spirit, uh, we need to understand the gospel first to make sure we have the indwelling ministry of the Spirit. Go to Romans 10.9. And so that's how I started off the youth conference uh, this way, Romans 10.9. And I started um, a little bit into the verse itself. Romans 10.9, if, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So here is the gospel of Jesus Christ up here on the board. Even all of you should never become familiar with it or comfortable with it or bored by it or what have you. <clears throat> it's beautiful. Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate, humbled himself to die on our behalf. Thus he became the sinless sacrifice to pay the penalty of our guilt. He rose from the dead to declare with power that he is Lord over all. And he offers eternal life freely to sinners who will surrender to him in humble, repentant faith. So the question on the table was, do you believe that you are a sinner in need of a Savior? Go to John 11.25. Do you believe that you are a sinner in need of a Savior? <clears throat> John 11.25 so again, this is what I presented with the afternoon group. It was pretty much the same group, it turned out, but uh, obviously it was skewed more towards youth. John 11:25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the question. Do you believe this? Do you believe that you need a Savior? 
do you understand why repentance is the first part of your conversion? Do you understand that you're unrighteous on your own, that you can never measure up? Do you understand these things? Do you understand the depravity of man? And that's a big question um, that has to be answered. Um, and that's why Jesus said, do you believe this? Do you believe in me? This is the question I ask all of you even here today, for my teaching will not make sense to any unbeliever, at least not in the way that truly matters. Today's topic is learning to walk by the Spirit, which is literally impossible for an unregenerate person. It's like not having legs. It's, the, it's, it's impossible to walk by the Spirit if you're unregenerate. So why have this conversation? Why have a whole lesson on learning to walk by the Spirit if you're not even saved? That was the point that the Spirit was making with this group. In order for you to understand my lesson, you must be saved. A true disciple of Jesus Christ. Go to John 9.35. John 9.35. <clears throat> So it's really important. Uh, we can't talk about certain things in the Bible uh, uh, unless we're saved. Uh, John 9.35, Jesus heard that they had put him out, and this was a reference to the blind man that Jesus had healed. And finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world. I wrote a blog on that, if you remember. For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. In other words, he is the judgment, the precipice, if you would, or the, the very basis of justifiable judgment. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. What Jesus said to the Pharisees is the same thing I'm saying to all of you today. That unless you believe in him as your Lord and Savior, you will remain blind, unable to see, unable to understand the contents of my message to you now. However, if you have believed and have been saved, then you have been given the very Spirit of Christ, and the Holy Spirit of God now indwells you. In fact, all three persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, indwell every believer today. And because you have been given the Spirit, you shall be taught by Him, even as I speak. For He is working through me as a chosen vessel. Go to 1 Corinthians 2.12. 1 Corinthians 2.12. <clears throat> it's interesting how we started this, this lesson off because 
it is critically important. Uh, and I'll get to a, a scenario that I had recently with an individual that was unsure about their salvation. And they really wanted to talk about some of the deeper things of the Bible uh, and almost back into it, uh, back into salvation. And I kept saying, it's, that's the wrong approach. You need to worry about uh, salvation first. 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, which would imply what? There is a spirit of the world. You know, like Paul said, you know, there's a different spirit preaching a different Christ, a different Savior, a different Messiah, because that's what Christ means, a different Jesus, right? There are different spirits in this world and that people listen to all the time. Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So this is what a believer has received. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. The implication is without him, you wouldn't know the things given to you by God. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. This is an important point for everyone, even all of you here. I'm assuming most of you here are saved, obviously. Um, but we should never become familiar with these things because we're supposed to be out there evangelizing people. And I would argue that a lot of people make that mistake, good-intentioned Christians, of arguing about things that the person they're arguing with has no, even doesn't even have the ability to understand. The Bible says that if you are not saved, you cannot even understand the spiritual meaning of my words. Look at verse 14. <clears throat> But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why not? For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. You see, he can't even understand these things. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. That just means that unbelievers cannot understand him, cannot be appraised, or cannot appraise him. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So the guidance from the Spirit, before we even get into the principle of this evening's message, is do not make the mistake of simply saying, you are saved, for you shall not fool God. And that was the message I was giving this group. Do not make the mistake of simply saying you are saved, for God's not fooled. And this is the story. I was having a really nice discussion with a young man the other day on this very topic. Um, for he has found himself a little torn and confused about the reality of salvation. And throughout the conversation, he was telling me about like squabbles he'd have with unbelievers about the deeper things in the Bible. And as he was, I, you know, I would obviously be. Um, appropriately uh, attentive but as he was describing the squabbles and the angle he was taking uh, with 
his arguments with others and, and uh, you know, supposedly even defending the Bible. My biggest question was at the beginning of our conversation, he had intimated that he wasn't even sure if he believed in Jesus Christ. And I said, well, you know, that's kind of the ship of fools scenario where you've got a, you know, one person that's defending something um, that they, they personally can't even understand yet, at least not fully. And they were talking about things like the value of, you know, godly morality and wisdom. And even sometimes, you know, about the viability of the contents in the inspired Bible. But here's what I tried to impress upon this individual, and I say the same thing to all of you, is the gospel's first. The gospel has to be first. Don't waste your time trying to argue, trying to back into. In, in other words, there's a lot of um, rationalistic thinkers. I mean, I used to be surrounded by them in industry. A lot of intelligent people will look at the Bible, all of it, and say to them, and say, well, if all of this adds up, then I'll believe in Jesus. And that's not what the Bible says at all. Not at all. You have to be saved, and then this makes sense, all of it. Do you understand? That's a very different conversation than going here first with some cosmic physicist who's trying to disprove God anyways and trying to find controversy or contradictions in the Bible, etc., etc., and then, then being so-called convinced that it's all true and then believing in Jesus Christ. You don't need to know that. You don't need to know everything in the Bible. Um, the Bible doesn't truly open up until you're saved. We just read that. So the gospel first, attempting to reach beyond the doorway of salvation, I'm using the doorway from John 10, 9. Jesus Christ said, I am the door. Attempting to reach beyond the doorway of salvation prior to actually being saved is futility. Furthermore, for a saved person to argue with an unbeliever from an enlightened position is similarly futile. In other words, if you're a believer and you're trying to argue for Jesus Christ with all kinds of rationalistic thinking um, based on, I don't know, biblical context even outside of the gospel proper, you might as well hang your hat up. It's a stupid conversation to get into because chances are, if you're having that conversation, they're not really interested in Christ, are they? All they're looking to do is find some loophole or some contradiction or something that justifies their unbelief. So make sure that the gospel comes first. John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The reason the Spirit's bringing this up is because the very substance of this lesson has to do with something that only believers can even begin to experience. We're talking about walking by the Spirit, right? An unbeliever doesn't do that. So why would you argue about walking by the Spirit, which would be things like the fruit of the Spirit, or things like godly morality and wisdom, that kind of stuff, why would you talk about that kind of stuff with a person who can't understand it? So says the Bible. Why would you try to argue for Jesus Christ's case with stuff that they can't even understand? 
It'd be like trying to tell a blind man, hey, pick the red one out of the 100 blues. Right? Based on the texture, and they're all the exact same except for color. It's a stupid conversation to have, but people have it all the time. And they walk away frustrated, and I believe they can, you can do even more damage. But that's not what I was teaching this group. I'm teaching, obviously, you this because you're in a different situation, um, presumably. So the reason he's bringing this up is because the substance of this lesson has to do with something only believers can even begin to experience. And as most of you already know, even believers must learn and be sanctified over years of the Spirit's good work in them in order to tap into the wellspring that is truth. In other words, even believers take a while to understand the deep things in the Bible that the Spirit teaches us. The Spirit teaches us. So what does that say about an unbeliever who doesn't even have the apparatus to comprehend? It's futility. Therefore, it's a mistake to think that an unbeliever sitting in the audience that day that I taught this in India would be convicted the way a true believer would have been. The Apostle John wrote about this, as he often did, in terms of fruit-bearing. Go to 1 John 2.4. 1 John 2.4. In other words, walking by the Spirit is tantamount, if you want to say it that way, to fruit-bearing. Yeah. 1 John 2.4, which means that an unbeliever can never bear good fruit, but a believer can, so said Jesus. Jesus said what about the good tree? It bears what? Good fruit. And the bad tree bears what? Bad fruit. Okay, that's not rocket science. So if you're going to walk by the Spirit, guess what you're going to produce? Good fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. But an unbeliever can't do that because it's a bad tree. 1 John 2.4 the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is what? A liar. He's a bad tree. He's got spray-painted apples, right? <laughs> He's saying, look at my fruit. Isn't it nice and red and looks just like an apple? Yeah, it looks like an apple, but as soon as someone bites into it, it's rotten. That person is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In him, the love of God has truly been perfected or matured. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. And if you know anything about walking and abiding in Christ, that's Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. I taught that on Sunday. They're basically the same thing. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked, unless he's what? A liar. So it was at this point that I said the following to my audience in India. Feel free to close your eyes and pray to the Lord God, calling out to Him for salvation. Feel free to close your eyes and pray while I read the gospel to you again. When I read this again, and I'm not afraid to read it to you again. Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate, humbled Himself to die on our behalf. Thus it became the, sunless, or the sinless sacrifice to pay the penalty of our guilt. He rose from the dead to declare with power that he is Lord over all, and he offers eternal life freely to sinners who will surrender to him in humble, repentant faith. I mean, this is 
imperfect English language and my own personal synopsis, if you would. Um, but there's fewer things you're ever going to read that are more beautiful than that. If you are saved, then I said, please join me now in this lesson fully as a new creature, born again in Jesus Christ. Go to uh, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. You see, it took the first good portion, probably one-third of the lesson, for that invitation to even be put on the table. And that was the, that was the strength of what the Spirit was saying, it, uh, to all of you even, that uh, it's really important, if you're going to talk about the deeper things, about the ministry of God the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, then you ought to be talking to believers, right? Otherwise, they're not going to get it. It's not going to have any real um, effect on them. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Up here on the board, what is reconciliation again? This means that with Jesus Christ as your Savior, God has forgiven all of your sins, past, present, and future. This act has removed the enmity between you, the sinner, and the holy God of the universe. Because, Jesus, because of Jesus, <clears throat> you have been restored to a good relationship with God. That's what reconciliation really is all about. You've been reconciled to God. When you are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, you receive the indwelling ministry of his spirit. Go to John 14, 16. <clears throat> so when you're reconciled, when you're saved, you receive the indwelling ministry of God the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> John 14, 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Do you understand that? The spirit of truth, God the Holy Spirit, the same one who penned the Bible, or excuse me, authored the Bible, that is the spirit of truth, the same one who testifies about Jesus Christ. That's why he's called the spirit of Christ. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Because he abides in you and will be in you. Up here on the board, though, the world cannot receive. This means that the world, unbelievers, cannot understand the things of God. The spirit does not teach them how to walk in Christ the way he does for believers. If you are a believer, you must learn what this means by studying the Bible. But if you're an unbeliever, he doesn't even, he's not even interested in teaching you what it means to walk in the Spirit. Along with this reality is another important one to understand for believers. You must understand that even if you are saved, because you have a flesh, an old sin nature, 
you will be tempted to sin. So just because you're walking in the Spirit doesn't mean you're walking that way all the time. Go to Romans 7.25. <clears throat> Romans 7.25. So even if you're saved, you will be tempted to sin. You will sin. <clears throat> Romans 7.25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, I, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. And so goes Romans 7, the back and forth between the old and the new with Paul. Um, and he was uh, what we would call relatively mature at that point, too. So don't be discouraged. Up here on the board, free will to walk by the Spirit, each day you are given the ability to decide for yourself between what you know is right and what is sinful. James 4.17 says, Therefore, to, the, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is a sin. So each day we're given a free will to decide for ourselves, to do what is right and what is sinful. The Spirit will convict you. He will help you decide what is right and wrong. When you choose rightly, you are walking by the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 You will be blessed whenever you choose rightly. Go to Galatians 5.16. Galatians 5.16 But I say, remember in, uh, the church at Galatia was being inundated with uh, Judaizers, people trying to bring in the law and trying to say, you know, if you weren't circumcised, you weren't doing this, you weren't being spiritual, this whole thing. They were corrupting the church. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And so goes that letter. The Apostle Paul wrote many things about the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers in Christ. In fact, Paul's entire ministry was motivated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Up here on the board, on this topic of walking by the Spirit, Paul wasn't just a teacher of the Spirit's ministry. He was a product of it. Just think about that. 
He wasn't just, he didn't just teach these things. I mean, he was a walking manifestation of the power of the Spirit. This is the guy who killed Christians, right? This guy was not a nice guy. He was uh, enthusiastic, but he wasn't kind towards Christ's disciples before he got knocked down on the road to Damascus and was converted himself. So he wasn't just a teacher of the Spirit. He was actually a product of the Spirit. It was from firsthand experience that Paul wrote about the Spirit. Go to Romans 8.5. Romans 8.5. <clears throat> So Paul's arguments were not void of experience even. That's what we just came off of with Romans 7. He said, listen, I don't even have it all nailed. I'm doing the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I want to do. You know, this is the way it goes. Who will free me from this body of death? And then verse uh, chapter 8, he gets, gets into this. Romans 8, 5. For those who are according to the flesh, unbelievers, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, believers, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. The mindset on the flesh, the unbeliever, is not even able to subject itself to the law of God. Why? Because they're unable. That's the whole point. They can never walk by the Spirit. They don't have the apparatus to do it. They don't have the legs. They don't have the, the sight. They don't have anything. They haven't been made new. So to talk to an unbeliever about the finer things of the spiritual life is futility. They don't even understand it. That's what the Bible says. They can't even comprehend it. So why would we, you know, talk to them? this way they're not even able to do so verse 8 and those who are in the flesh cannot please God however you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you that's what we learned earlier if you're saved the spirit of God indwells you however if you're not in the flesh you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you Recall John 14, 17, that said, But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Again, verse 9, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That's very encouraging. As I've taught in the past, uh, you won't know it, uh, presumably, until you're saved. But if you're saved, the Spirit will tell you. 
because he will testify that you are a child of God. He will let you know. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So, to my youthful friends, I would say, let us suppose now that I'm speaking to all believers. You see how long it took? It's been over half the lesson. That's how important this whole argument is. And I think the value to all of you now is to understand if the Spirit's going to take that long on the other side of the planet just to get to the main topic, and He's not letting individuals get past the topic of salvation even, then maybe in your own personal discussions with unbelievers, you should stop and pause and ask, am I approaching this the right way? Uh, is it worth my time? Is it worth the frustration on both our parts to talk about things that they can't even understand yet? Or should I spend my time on the gospel? Should I be maybe, just maybe like the Spirit's been saying for a long time now, um, maybe I should give them scripture that's a lot more challenging. A lot more challenging. In other words, uh, that points to the depravity and the need for repentance. Maybe I need to do that. The sovereignty that speaks directly to the sovereignty of God. Or as Romans 1.18 would say, the wrath of God. Maybe I need to do that instead of trying to flip them a coin and start talking about how wonderful it is to be a Christian. Just look at, just read Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and all the wisdom in the Bible. It's so great. Don't you want to believe, be a believer too uh, so that you can understand and, and live by all this wonderful wisdom? Don't you want that? And we kind of like throw a little carrot out there as if it's like, you know, some form of enlightenment. We know that there's that after salvation, but... That's not the carrot. The carrot to salvation is not some higher level of morality or enlightenment or whatever. The, the truth is that you're, you're a sinner. You're totally unrighteous before a totally righteous God. And you need a Savior. That's the conversation, as difficult as it is, as, as offensive as it is in Christian circles even nowadays. That's the conversation we need to be having with people. If, I hope you understand what I'm saying. So it doesn't make any sense. That's the point. We've got to have some really hard conversations with some people. And maybe they're the people we've been sort of fudging the gospel with <laughs> over a few years. Maybe we weren't giving them the whole truth about the sovereignty and the wrath of God and the reality of hell that is spoken of seven times more often than heaven in the Bible. Maybe we haven't been doing our job as evangelists. Maybe we've been trying to be too nice, like the rest of the bozos out there, half of them standing behind pulpits. They don't have any courage or any backbone. How, what about that? Some are confused. I get it. We were, to some degree. What does the Bible have to say about walking by the Spirit in the practical sense? If I'm going to speak to believers now, what does the Bible have to say about walking in the Spirit in the practical sense? Well, the Bible says, and remember my audience here, that you must flee or run away from what it calls youthful lusts up here in the board. We've got an awful lot about that in the past few months. 
but for this audience, I taught them this way. Youthful lust, these are the temptations that lead to sin, especially for youths. This may be inappropriate desires towards members of the opposite sex, desires to disobey authority, desires to lie, cheat, or steal, etc. 2 Timothy 2, 20-22. Go there. 2 Timothy 2, 20. Go there. So the Bible tells us to flee from youthful lusts. This is a practical issue, situation. This is a practical ramification, if you would, or an out, uh, manifestation of walking by the Spirit because the Spirit is certainly going to convict you to flee from those things because it is the Spirit of Christ. It is the same one who inspired the Word of God, the very mind of Christ, the Word, the Logos. Second Timothy 2.20, so of course he's going to tell you to flee from things that are going to damage you. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Remember that. That's that old litmus test. Is what I'm going to do or what I'm thinking of doing or what I'm about to do is going to bring glory to God? Yes or no? Kind of hard to answer verse 21 if you're, you know, doing, doing something nasty. Verse 22, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So up here on the board, walking by the Spirit. If you are walking by the Spirit, you will flee from temptation. The Holy Spirit will convict you to turn away from your fleshly desire to sin and turn to Christ. Pray. Read the Bible. Seek relief. I've shared this with you in the past. I know many of you concur. I just, I just literally did this. I shouldn't say the other day because I try to do this every time I get tempted, but there's one temptation that I get in my life uh, quite a bit that I literally have to stop and pray to pray right there on the spot and say, you, you have to take this away from me, like right now. Somehow, some way, please take this temptation away from me right now. And he does. It's the most amazing thing. It, I don't, I don't, I don't wrestle with it. I don't kind of like, you know, like you, you know, it's not like walking and fumbling for your keys. I literally stop wherever I am. Stop, close my eyes and say a prayer and stand there. Just hoping I don't have to do that in public too often. People might stop looking. It's usually in my house. You know, a lot of times you get you when you're alone, you get thinking stupid things. And uh, it works. So pray, read the Bible, seek relief, whatever it takes. The Bible warns us not to make the mistake of being saved and then supposing that we can walk righteously without the Spirit. If we ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit, we will stumble. Go to Galatians 3.3. 3. Galatians 3, verse 3. Galatians 3.3. 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, baptized by His power even? 
Are you now being perfected or matured by the flesh? That's a big mistake. You began by the Spirit, baptized by His power. Now you're going to perfect yourself by your flesh? Does that make any sense whatsoever? No. Do not be deceived into thinking that without constant prayer and fellowship with the Spirit of Christ that you will be able to walk righteously. Do not be deceived without constant prayer and fellowship with the Spirit of Christ that you will be able to walk righteously. You might ask, well, what does it mean to walk righteously? And given time constraints, the, the simple answer is to walk in love. You really want to know what it means to walk righteously, to walk by the Spirit? It means to walk in love. Not in, you know, romance novel love, in godly love. If you really want to know, if you can't describe it in words, if you're not a theologian, if you don't have a DD or PhD after your name, big deal. Walk in love. For the love is the very fruit of the Spirit, as we just noted in Galatians 5.22. And it's listed first, nonetheless. Now, I could teach for years, frankly, on walking in love. But for the sake of this short lesson, let's seek out some truth in Holy Scripture. Jesus said to his disciples, go to John 13.34. You want to walk by my Spirit? He said. It is the Spirit of Christ, right? That same Spirit testifies of Christ, right? He's going to bring into remembrance the things that Christ teaches or taught, right? Yeah. So do you want to walk by the Spirit, my Spirit? Jesus Christ said to his disciples, John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. It's incredible, the lack of love in Christianity nowadays. That you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's incredible. Look at the religions around the world. Look at the main one in our own local area here. There's no love. It's disgusting. It's dastardly. It's horrible. It's um, undermining. It's crippling. It's... Um, uh, a prison sentence. It's all kinds of horrible, horrible things. There's no love. It's all religion. But yet Jesus Christ said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's why. Why do you think I'm so afraid for that religion, people in that religion? Because of verse 35. Right there. If I don't see love, then what do I have to say about them being disciples? i got a big problem. I'm going to say, well, wait a minute. You sure you're actually saved even? Because you got no love. You know, your fruit sucks. You're a vindictive jackass, a religious, self-righteous punk. So you, one has to wonder, okay, if there's no fruit, if there's not even love. I mean, you can be wrong about this, you know, this doctrine or that doctrine or this doctrine or that doctrine, you know, whatever. But if you don't have, like, a basic love, a love, you know, we love because he first loved us, that type of love, some kind of, something based on gratitude, something based on a gift that we've been given from God, I don't know what to say. But this is what Scripture tells me in brief. That if you want to learn about walking by the Spirit, well, then you need to learn how to walk in love. To walk by the Spirit is to walk in love. That's what I believe. 
I don't think you can walk by the Spirit and not be abiding in love. I don't think it's possible. Why? Because that's what Scripture says. Go to Ephesians 5.1. Ephesians 5.1. <clears throat> so to walk by the Spirit is to walk in love. You don't have to be some Ph.D. and rattle off, you know, have a few, you know, your Galatians 5.22 and 23 memorized. Well, there, you see, there are nine facets, and it's in this order, you see. Love, peace, patience, kindness. Wow. You're so intelligent. You sound religious. Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And what? What does it say? Walk in love. <laughs> How? Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. What did John say? Look, if you say you love and you don't lay down your life for others, you're a liar. If you're not living for others somehow, some way, and I'm not saying you have it perfected, but you understand. I heard a, a pastor say recently, it's not perfection, it's direction. It's not about perfection, it's about direction. If you're not at least going in this direction, there's a problem. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Do you want to know what it means to walk by the Spirit? There you go. Go home and read Ephesians 5 again when you go home. That's his exhortation. That was Paul saying, this is what it means. He was speaking to believers. He's like, this is what it means. You see, those unbelievers, this is what they do. Don't walk like them. Don't be like them. Be a light. And, and, and if you see darkness, expose it. 
Just expose, even if you see it in yourself or if you see it in the brethren, expose it. Say, oh, I'm not going to celebrate that in you, you idiot. Cut it out. I mean, no, right? There's no, I'm not judging you. I'm not judging me. Even when I look in the mirror, I'm not judging. I'm judging in the sense that I've seen things for what they are. But I'm not going to go to hell for it. I'm not telling somebody else, hey, you're such a, you know, you're such a moron. You're going to go to hell for it. That kind of a thing. Just call a spade a spade and, you know, seeing it all as truth. That's Ephesians, what, 5.13, right? Again, the point on the board. To walk by the Spirit is to walk in love. And again, it's not perfection, it's direction. The more you learn from the Bible, the more you will understand what it means to walk by the Spirit. This is not something you can fake or pretend. So please know this. It's not something you can fake or pretend up here on the board. Because God is not fooled, remember, and He's not mocked. This is a supernatural ability given to believers by God. It's a supernatural ability given to believers by God to walk by the Spirit. In many churches you will find false Christians, people who, quote, say they believe in Jesus Christ, but are merely saying so for selfish reasons. Some people will attach themselves even to Christianity only because they enjoy the hospitality that might exist with we believers. That happens too, even in churches. We've had, remember, we used to have more of that. Remember that, DJ? Every so often someone would come in and they were just looking for like some handout. They would just basically come in. And, I, and you know, everybody's got alligator arms, right? So they left. Well, what the heck kind of motivation was that? You mean you come swooping through looking for a hand? You're, they weren't, I'm not even sure what their status was in the faith even. Remember the uh, here it is things? We'd order all that food and soda. We'd be like, thank you, out of here. Let me know when the next one is. I could care less about what you said. It was about the food. Hey. So that happens. In America, things have gotten so perverse. I was thinking about this. In America, things have gotten so perverse that unbelievers demand that Christians be charitable. So wait a minute. Walking by the Spirit, that's when I'm going to truly be charitable as unto the Lord, right? Because God loves a cheerful giver. Um, but the unbelievers who have poked their heads into our moral code now use our own moral code and say, you have to give me money. Or you have to support me because you're a Christian, right? Well, what kind of Christian are you if you don't? Because your own Bible says it. I say, keep your filthy hands out of my Bible, you stinking loser. You can laugh. I, I, I don't mean to be, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I feel like punching people sometimes. I know, don't be pugnacious. I'm not going to punch somebody. I'm really not. I just get so, you know what it is? It's a violation. It's violent against my Lord. Do you understand? How dare you look into my holy, holy Bible and then try to tell me what's what. 
When the Spirit moves me to be charitable, I'll be charitable. Thank you very much. Have a good day. But don't come at me with that garbage, uh, you and your politicians and those other idiots that propose to understand Christianity and tell me that my Bible tells me I have to be charitable and you stop making demands. These demands are nothing more than fleshly lusts cloaked in something that sounds godly. Charity isn't charity if it's done under fleshly compulsion. Charity isn't charity if it's done under fleshly compulsion. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Not, that's fruit of the Spirit. That's true fruit of the Spirit. Not to digress, but that's a good portion of the fruit bearing that is evidenced in the life of a true believer, as the Apostle John describes in 1 John. If our postulate then, just getting ready to close here, <clears throat> if our postulate that we're working out here is, quote, to walk by the Spirit is to walk in love. And Jesus said, greater love is no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. That's John 15, 13. Then we must conclude that walking in the Spirit through the expression of godly love produces giving of one's life for others. To walk in the Spirit is to walk in love. Greater love is known than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Then we conclude that walking in the Spirit, through the expression of godly love, produces giving of one's life for others. Is that fair? I think so. An unbeliever, his, true, his or her true stripes will always eventually reveal themselves because the human flesh always grows weary, eventually. I mean, have you ever wondered why you're still here? Wouldn't it be a lot easier to be like your friends at work? You know, easy and, you know what I'm saying, some days, wouldn't it? I mean, why are you still here? Because you're God's. That's called the perseverance of the saints. You may not even understand that yet, but you're here because you are saved. You are here because your heart has been changed. Even though you have those days, you're like, ah, <laughs> right? It's like, you know, on the computer screen, you take a file and you throw it in the trash, and it goes, <laughs> and you clear your trash, and it's like, gone. It's like some days, right? But you, the, you know, God's faithfulness is new every morning, Lamentations 3, right? There's a, that's not a mistake. That's called the perseverance of the saints. You're here because you are actually saved. You're here even on days when you don't even necessarily want to be here because you're saved. At the end of the day, I've always looked at it this way, you don't really have a choice. You're going to have your trials and tribulations, but your direction, your compass is now set. Walking by the Spirit. <clears throat> this affords true believers unlimited access to the power of God through the Holy Spirit who motivates them to persevere and, and you ready, empowers this very thing. It's one of the ways you know you're saved. How else would you do what you do? 
how else, you know, I look out here and I'm looking, I won't, I won't look at anybody, but I'm looking at uh, just about everybody here in some way, shape, or form, you may not know, I realize this as a shepherd, but has been changed drastically. Has been changed, I mean, drastically. Because I only see you like in photo album. I don't live with you, thank God. So I see like, you know, photo album. It's like, and it's incredible. It's incredible what I've seen uh, over the last even few years. And the fact that you haven't quit is astounding to my human brain. But it's not astounding because all things are possible with God. It's incredible. That's how you persevere. That's why you never use human flesh to try to persevere. Once that happens, you will grow tired and you will grow weary. This affords true believers unlimited access to the power of God through the Holy Spirit who motivates them to persevere and empowers this very thing. On the flip side, a professing unbeliever must depend on a limited power source, the flesh, for perseverance, which always runs out or runs dry eventually. Always. They always fall away from the faith. Why? Because they don't have the power. They don't have the power. That is why eventually you will see these people leave the churches. Go to 1 John 2.19. 1 John 2.19. If you're saved, you have the power. If you're not, you don't. And you have to reconcile that in your own soul. That's, I think that's a maturity principle, to be honest with you. Perseverance of the saints. Um, I believe it's a maturity principle. Meaning, you will. You will because he says you will. And if you look at all your weaknesses, you might say, but I won't. But if you look at what Holy Scripture says, you will. Even if it doesn't make any sense, you will. 1 John 2.19 They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not, they would have remained with us. But they went out, so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. So be it. If you are truly a believer in Christ, then know that the Holy Spirit is with you always. So says Holy Scripture. That's the Spirit's own promise, by the way. And it is His ministry to convict you of right and wrong. But still, excuse me, you must decide whether or not you will walk in righteousness. For the flesh is weak and desires to sin. If you choose well, you will be blessed. However, if you choose unwisely, you will be cursed or judged. Therefore, the Bible says, go to Ephesians 4.30, and this is the last scripture that I gave them. We're just about out of time anyways. Ephesians 4.30, this is what the Bible says. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Then don't grieve him. Don't go against him. Don't make him unhappy, however you'd like to look at that. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. 
because his power is pushing, pushing you in that direction and the, the flesh is pushing in this direction. And you have a choice to make. If you choose the flesh, he's grieved. If you, if you choose him, you produce fruit for him. And that was the end of the lesson. As was the case with the other lessons already reviewed, this one is yet another wonderfully placed addition to your souls. So please pray for each other and those whom this ministry has affected even in India. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this wonderful privilege to gather together as family, to be encouraged by each other and understand that we are persevering through good times and bad, Father, because your power doesn't fail us. Your spirit is always with us, and he ensures such things. We just pray that we continue to walk by the spirit as much as possible to your glory, Father. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.